This is the Blatcast. Christmas Eve is slowly fading. Can you hear him in the night? Close the door, turn out the light. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Black. Yes, welcome to a very special Black cast. Silent cast, deadly cast. I am Christian Blatt and very excited to welcome back to the show. I was going to say the one and only Carlos Danger, but there's the other one. There's the other Carlos Danger, but you're the only one we care about. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It feels blasphemous, but I'll get through it. As a Catholic, I think we'll we'll all get through it. And uh, we are talking about the 1984 Christmas classic, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And I, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand, but uh, we both have done enough of this where we need to save most of this for the air. So I'm going to ask you first, Carlos, what is your background with Silent Night, Deadly Night? Uh, You know, when were you first aware of it? When did you see it? All that kind of good stuff. I distinctly remember the controversy. Yeah, I, I remember it being on the news a lot. And but I didn't actually see the movie until it came out on VHS, probably four years after it was released. Uh, but I, I remember this was a big deal. This was a naughty movie. In my mind as a kid, I was in 1984. I was 10. This was up there with Faces of Death and I Spit on Your Grave as a movie you're not allowed to see. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad you uh, compared it to I Spit on Your Grave because uh, in a little bit we're going to have a clip of Gene Siskel who uh, references I Spit on Your Grave uh, in relation to this movie. Yeah, I actually thought I had found the clip. I found a different one, which we'll take a look at. I distinctly remember, I guess it's November 1984, so I was eight. So now I know that you're older than me and I feel a lot better about myself, Carlos. Uh, no so <laughs> anything you could do to help. And my my parents would watch Entertainment Tonight every night. Uh, and, uh, you know, to them, it was like the news. You know, yes. that was that was the level of news they kept up on. And I was ushered out of the room when they said uh, you might want your children to be out of the room. And I knew they were going to talk about this movie. And I wanted to see it, but of course, uh, did not see it for like you for a few years after. Uh, doing a little bit of research, it came out on VHS in 1987. I saw oh. it, I think, for the first time, maybe like uh, 80. I think it was it was like mid 86, but I didn't see it until I don't know. I feel like I was. I feel like it might have been 1990. I was like 13, 14 when I finally saw it. And the version that we would have seen on VHS is the unrated version. And there's YouTube videos that will show you side, but there's a split screen of this is what they cut out to try and get it on screens at all, and. Uh, uh, let's just say it's a, it's a little bit more extreme in the home video version, which I think is the way that most people saw it, you know? So you knew it was this movie that, that you weren't supposed to see. But for me, it, I was eight. I didn't want to see it. I, that was my kids aren't here anymore. So I can say it loud enough. That was the year that I, earlier in the year I had uh, been informed that there wasn't a Santa Claus. Uh, so I didn't, uh, I, think that that distinction might have made a big difference you know because if i thought Hmm. that santa was real you know this had come out in 1983 and uh the uh you know so but i was like i I don't think i want to see that i don't think that's good for kids you know you kind of get swept up into the little bit that i could hear you know 
Uh, oh, sure. It yeah. felt dirty. It felt dirty yeah. to watch this movie. I mean, I was probably I, 12, 13, 14, something like that. Yeah, I had to I'm seek pretty... it out. Like I had yeah. to, uh, there was one video store. They wouldn't rent it to us because it was a family friend. And I checked this with my buddy, this guy, Brian Spears. I do my podcast with, yeah, we right. had to like walk through the woods. We had to go to like, there was this one video store, Mayapak, New York, and they would rent smut to anybody. They didn't care. And that's how we had to see it. We like <laughs> smuggled it down to my friend's house and we watched silent night, deadly night. What I remember about silent night, deadly night, the VHS was, it was one of those oversized boxes. So it really stood out on the shelf. And that only made me want to see it more but at the same time, I, I was definitely scared. I mean, iconic, the, one of the greatest box arts of all time. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, for our visual audience, you see the uh, the poster. Uh, TriStar uh, actually spent some great money on. I mean, what an iconic image, the actual poster to Silent Night, Deadly Night. And so there was all of this fuss about this movie, uh, a kerfuffle, as you might say. And the interesting thing that I wasn't aware of is that four years earlier, there had been a movie called Christmas Evil, mm -hmm. which is a similar idea. Crazy Santa Claus kills a bunch of people. Uh, and there was not as big a deal about it for the simple reason that this had a, you know, set, well, a mid-major studio attached and they had television advertising. So that was the big distinction. So people would see it. I think it aired during Monday Night Football. People would see it on a commercial break from Little House on the Prairie. I, I was reading all that. And I'm like, well, who sold those ads? Like, you know, one, who in the movie, you know, a genius. I was like, yeah, we you know, like advertised during the A-Team. Sure. You know, Knight Rider. But Little House on the Prairie. You know, what, what, what are we trying to do here? You know, who are you trying to sell this to? So. The uh, the TV ads seem to be what uh, what started the you know kind of the biggest part of it, uh, the the biggest part of there being the controversy. And when it comes to these kind of videos, I, I'm always a little hesitant to play much sound. I'll play a little bit of the, the night Here before the Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Remember, he only looks like Santa Claus. You've made it through Halloween. Now try and survive Christmas. I decided night, deadly night, that it was 30 dark, seconds and I was just going to play the whole thing. The theater near you. And what a great tagline. You made it through Halloween. Now try to survive Christmas. And I'm like, God damn it, that's good. And so it opened in early November. And uh, it, it had what they call a limited engagement. But the controversy had the effect that controversies often do. You know, how many how many CDs of two live crew as nasty as they want to be sold because it had that sticker? Right. Did it, did it be sold because the fuck shop was a great song? No, it did not. <laughs> but it just had that had sticker. To see it or, yeah. 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 You're just like, I got to hear what this is. You know, uh, so, you know, so that really catches on and it seems like a lot of the 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 groundswell of it was in the milwaukee area for some reason um they the interesting sure. thing was that tristar wanted to start it out in the midwest because of the depiction of the the nuns and just the very offhand spoiler alert like oh yeah that guy was a priest and uh, he's dead now <laughs> you know so i Possibly think that they were like part Let's... of the movie yeah well just a very matter of fact 
And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that that might have had something to do with it. But so the movie was made for 700,000, maybe 750,000. And for 1984, I'm like, they must have had a great catering budget. I'm not quite sure where where all that money went, Carlos. Right. Yeah, it does not. Yeah. Uh, I guess it all went into the antler scene, right? Because that's the only... (laughs) The the antler scene is amazing. I mean, we could do a whole episode on the antler scene. And don't worry, we will talk about the antler scene. So, you know, and it makes like two and a half million dollars. And uh, TriStar pulls it from theaters after like two weeks of, of screenings. And in, the, you know, the second week, it makes more than the first week because everybody's talking about how it is indeed this naughty movie. And I I think that uh, I don't know. I mean, how how often are you more interested in something? You know, when somebody doesn't want you to see it. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. This is the definition of that. There's no way yeah. I would have. Uh, you know, and those other ones, it's like you didn't really give a crap about any of the other Santa killer movies. Like we didn't yeah. know about it. The other thing I found interesting, and and I think this is is right. It was released like two days after Ronald Reagan got reelected. Right. He, he, he defeats Walter Mondale in this landslide. You know what? You're right. That wasn't in the notes. But yes, this was uh, it was like, I don't know, November 9th ish, uh, 1984. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and I think like the the timing of it, right? there was the, there was the ad campaign that that drew attention to it. But also like the, you know, the spirit of America or the climate at that time, it was definitely, you know, there was we were we were ready to be morally outraged at stuff. When you think like the decade before in the 70s, somehow like porn movies became cool for like seven months right so the pendulum swung the other way by the time ronald reagan was re-elected by a huge margin so like it was primed a movie like this was really gonna stick it in the eye of of the mainstream culture at the time no i think that uh i think you're right and that's that is an important part of the the debate you know about why there was you know that's a it's four years of getting used to the idea that we can be outraged about stuff you know that we're the moral majority and uh you know i think that it helped the legacy of the film Mm. to uh have that happen now what they did do is i guess in may of 1985 they decided to uh, bring the movie back into theaters and so this was the clip that I found. The sound's not great. My apologies, but it's a, it's oh. clearly a VHS from Entertainment Tonight from 1985. So, uh, you know, they don't upgrade clips like this to 4K Ultra, Carlos. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know what's going on in YouTube right now, but uh, maybe maybe they should. But uh, so this was what I thought was the, the clip that uh, that I wanted to find, which was the pre-release. Oh, my God, you don't want to see this movie. And then I got sent out of the room. So this is an entertainment tonight segment where they also use clips from the Siskel and Ebert segment, which is Siskel and Ebert segment on its own. The, the sound, you could barely hear it. So this Christmas, is a- silent night, deadly night. That's the one with Santa as the axe murderer. Well, it's coming back. Dick Shoemaker has that story in our news studio. You always go to Dick Shoemaker when you night, want the hard hitting news. Carlos. Released. Many parents were shocked that a movie about a maniacal Santa Claus would be shown at Christmas time. Well, now it's the month of May, and the film's producer is trying again. It'll play in every every part of the country, including backward, some places where it began to play and was pulled. Silent Night, Deadly Night, the movie that shocked America. I love that the trailer has so many gunshots because you can't really show all the, the stabbings. <laughs> right. Plays up the earlier controversy yeah. about the film. When angry parents picketed theaters where it played, and the critics took offense. 
Here's Silent this. Night, Deadly Night now has the distinction of joining I Spit on Your Grave as one of the two most contemptible films I've seen. And I don't mean to think it's campy. It really is quite awful. But the producer claims critics had other motives for reviewing the film. They were coming off an enormous amount of publicity on that picture. And I think that they knew that by reviewing that picture on their show, they would get higher ratings. And Ira Richard Barmack produced it. You people have nothing to be proud of, even if you made a few bucks off of all the negative publicity. Your profits truly are blood money. Shame on you, Siskel, and shame on you, Ebert, because I don't believe you. I think it was the height of hypocrisy for them to take that attitude. If they genuinely were horrified at the picture, they know very well that the most effective thing they could have done is to not review the picture. And yes, we even see Santa give one little girl a bloody knife as a gift and threaten another little girl with physical punishment as he sits on his lap. I mean, Gene, those are two of the best scenes in the movie. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, what, yeah, what are you he, talking about? I mean, yes, it's, it's horrifying that uh, you're trying to figure out, is Billy going to stab this little girl? And by the way, that would be terrible. And uh, I, it would have been really hard to enjoy the movie. <laughs> just, just for me personally, as a, as a 47-year-old with kids, uh, had it, you know, I, I'd seen it before, so I knew it didn't happen. But I just mean, I, you know, that would have been pretty upsetting. But it's like, oh, my God, he gives her the knife. And, you know, now that would have been, you know, the spinoff for the streaming series of this girl becoming the, the right. new, the new Billy. Yeah. It, um, it's played. I, I thought that was, it was funny. I mean, like when I first yeah. watched this movie as, as a kid, I yeah. just kind of slumped it off and I was like, I don't know. It didn't have Tom Savini level gore, you know, Correct. for all I wanted to see like the, you know, you wanted to see visceral uh, violence in, in a slasher movie, you know, cause at the time, like we had Friday the 13th, the final chapter, there were, there were decent gore movies. But now, like watching this again through the modern lens, and I'm 49. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's a funny movie. There's some parts of it I'm like, holy shit, you can't do that today. But no. I, I love that producer. He's like your, you know, he's like a stereotypical Hollywood producer of of, of D grade material, where he's just like, ah, they're, they're just they're just trying to get attention. Yeah. You know, like I just <laughs> the great. He's just so happy. He's a pig and shit that his movie's coming out again. Yeah, he's like, this is great. And uh, the uh, what ended up happening was that they did what they called a test market uh, re-release. So it ended up not opening as big as they wanted to. But the movie made so much money. And I'm sure no one associated with it made as much as Ira did when it came out on VHS. <laughs> I'm sure that every contract had nothing in there about, uh, you know, about any home release. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing. I found a great video that it's, it wouldn't be worth playing because we would just sit and watch it. But Quentin Tarantino talking, I mean, obviously, you know, he worked in a video store for uh, for years. He talked about how great this movie is and what he really likes about it. And he touches on what you said. It's so funny. You know, mm. I mean, the uh, the bobsled scene sledding down the hill where Billy cuts off the guy's head and then the guy sleds down, you know, without the head and the heads are rolling around. It's like. This is great. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's it's I mean, I guess the idea of seeing it on a screen in 1984 probably puts a little bit of a different spin on it. But I don't know, I think I feel like a lot of people got it like, oh, this is funny. You know, he's he's Santa. But, you know, it's definitely they, I think like the horror fans of the day definitely got it right away. You know, but but I, I, I know I can I can see why it has a following. I can see yeah. why it's a true cult movie, but I could also see why people were so pissed at it. I oh, mean, yeah. The opening scene, right? And it is crazy. Yeah, Tarantino, he loves this movie. Yeah. Uh, and he, he pointed out that Silent Night, Deadly Night 
does what Rob Zombie did 30 years later with his Halloween remake, where you spend the first oh. half of the movie with Billy getting abused as a child, which is yeah. a little jarring. I, I, I feel like you and I saw the same clip. Yes. Cause that's exactly yes. what he yep. says in it. And uh, it, you know, and the, it's like, and uh, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk to uh, Armando Munoz who has uh, just published a novelization of it. And that's one of the things that he does too, is he spends more time with Billy in the novel version of it, you know, sort of getting to see how this happens. I think in the movie, yeah, as Tarantino says, they spend about 20 minutes after the horrific. It's a crazy long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, considering that the theatrical version of the movie was an hour and 19 minutes, the version that we get to see, it's like 125, I think, you know, mm. so it's not very long and they devote a lot of time. You know, it's, it's like whenever you see a Godzilla movie, he's in like nine minutes of the movie, you know? So the, the, the Billy as Santa is, it, it's almost like, it's almost like this really does kick off the franchise, which by the way it does, but not not so much for billy unfortunately and it's um, it's a slasher movie where it, the mother superior the 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 woman who abuses him she's the real yeah. bad guy in this thing you you feel sympathy for billy yeah, which is the, just a bizarre way to approach a slasher movie there's the nurse not the nurse sorry there's the nun who understands what billy's been through there's the nice nurse i actually don't remember the character's name you know there's that that nun and then mother superior's like no you're just an idiot you know, right. so I'm going to beat you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's a, <laughs> you know, how you know, I know how to use this belt. So it's uh, yeah, we really get to spend a lot of times. I mean, it's like, yes, later films uh, like Friday the 13th. They try to give you a little bit more about Jason. And, you know, in the first one, it's his mom. But, you know, you usually don't get the opportunity to kind of see it happen. Usually like this movie could like I maybe before this, it would have started where he gets the job at the right. toy store and in five minutes he's got to fill in his santa and there's and a flashback maybe, that's there's yeah. like a flashback to the right. side of the road you know uh but and it's yeah it, it's definitely you know for that era it's very gory but now it's it's so tame you know what i mean right what what, what shocked me and i'll say it, it shocked me because i haven't seen it in so long this I don't even know if we can say the word on YouTube. That's how uh, how things have changed. But there's the word that rhymes with grape, right? There's sexual yes. assault. There's multiple. There's more than one of those, by the way. There's and it's more not than like, one assault. Yeah. And I would say, okay, all these movies. It's like the producer was like, all right, we need we need naked boobs, right? Because we've got to have gratuitous nudity. Because all the slasher movies had gratuitous nudity. We got to have some gore. By the way, even as a 47 year old, no complaints. Right? You know, yeah. 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 Such taking a shower for no reason. But this one in that way, when, when you combine the two, right, you're supposed to be titillated by a sexual yeah. assault being committed by a guy dressed as Santa in front of the woman's son. Yeah. It's a whole like, they're not going to do that today. And no. so that was seeing it through modern lens. I was like, oh, shit, this this movie is a little should I be watching it? I was like pausing it, afraid my wife would come into the room. I didn't want to be caught oh. watching this movie. I yeah, I had to I I had to split up my rewatch. Uh, I uh, I rewatched it on the Roku channel. I got a I got a trial of the uh, the Shout Factory uh, streaming platform for a week. That was how I was able to watch it for free, basically. And uh, I told I told my wife I was like watching the second half of it downstairs. It's like, yeah, just stay upstairs for a while. I don't. I, I gotta watch <laughs> I, something. I just I gotta watch something for work. I, I just like I I cannot get into it. You know. Uh, by the way, the uh, oh that that was the one that I showed before. Uh, the great Husey 
in the chat. Talk about Home Alone 3, you hack. This is because uh, I, I tweeted this and it made Husey very angry this morning. I just retweeted Home Alone 3, which is we all know is really a takedown of you know, the surveillance state. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, obviously the the Home Alone movies do a lot for the deep state, I, I think. Please and, ban Husey uh, if you could. Uh, and then Joey C., uh, is in here and uh i i didn't know i didn't know i don't have much of a relationship with Husey. i did i did tweet once when uh i i just suggested to our buddy carl hamburger that i think Husey might have been gaslighting him by bringing 10 four minute clips from a bruce springsteen podcast that didn't have any jokes in it and uh it felt like uh -oh. Husey thought it was funny that i said that but then maybe uh he's remembering now he's got a anyway. mean streak in him he doesn't like this movie i don't know if he's catholic though are you irish catholic Husey? we'll never know we'll never we'll never know uh but i mean look and by the way anybody who sees this and like i can't believe you watch this this is terrible i'm like well yes it's it's there is a level where this movie's terrible, but yeah. there's also the, oh, it's fun and it's campy. Um, and I think we do have to talk about the, you know, the the coup de gras in the film is the antler scene. Because first of all, I believe this is the introduction of Linnea Quigley. Uh, and uh, I my, my best friend subscribed to Fangoria and uh, I did not because that would not have been, that would have been frowned upon if that showed up in my house every month. So I was very well aware of who she was. And, you know, there, there were, it didn't have nude pictures in it, but I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested. I want to know what she's got going on. But that scene, and by the way, the theatrical version uh, definitely has a little bit less impaling on it. And I, I mean, it's, Sometimes you feel like a horror movie was made for just so that they could justify one of the kills. Oh, and absolutely. I, I think that's this movie. And maybe there was an idea somewhere that this was like on one of Santa's reindeer, you know, <laughs> in an early draft. <laughs> yeah. In early, that's what I mean. An early draft. That was kind of the idea there. Um, and I, I mean, it's that in the bobsled or I don't know, sledding scene. Those are the two that really stood out in my memory but watching them again over the last uh, couple days that the, the, the antlers, I was just like, it's like even better than I remember, you know, I mean, and it's by totally the way, better slash more horrifying than I remember. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's pretty brutal and I guess it's famous. I, I, I you know, I, I am not a, 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 an expert on this movie. So there's probably people that'll watch this and be like, this guy doesn't know what he's fuck he's talking about. But I, I will say like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just this is all just I watched it the day before yesterday and it seemed yeah. like fresh. But so Linnea Quigley, she's just nude to be nude. Right. She's making out with her boyfriend. And I guess she famously answers the door. Right. There's yes. a cat. She's trying to get the cat doesn't she puts her pants on, but doesn't bother to put her shirt on. And well, she's got the, the short shorts on, which, you know, it's look, because just... it's the winter in Utah. So at least she was being sensible in that way. You know, but uh, yeah, the fact that the, uh, you know, again, no complaints that she decided to not put a top on to let the cat in. But uh, it's very funny to see it and go like, really? There's no notes right. from the script supervisor. Like maybe a robe like you, know, you could even leave the robe open if you want to show off the full the, 1980s boobs there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I saw her boobs, like I, I, it, it makes sense now because my timeline on, on this was messed up. But if this came out in on VHS in 87 or 88, I had started going to uh, Fangoria Weekend of Horrors in New York City, a horror convention sure. at that time. Linnea right. Quigley was there. And I remember waiting online with my buddy Brian Spears for hours to have her sign 
a, a topless photo of herself stick, sticking her lipstick in her nipple, which I think was from Night of the Demons. So like, <laughs> yeah, she was the draw by this point. And there it is. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, this is from the theatrical trailer. It's not the Red Band trailer, uh, but I don't. I mean, all this stuff is on YouTube, so I could. I thought about that after we did our uh, our Texas Chainsaw Massacre show. I'm like, wait a minute, these clips are on YouTube. I probably could show them, but it's easier to just you know. Just uh, uh, you know, dip out of them when uh, when possible. But anyway, so you had her sign, and look, I bet uh, that line at Weekend of Horrors was uh, probably filled with people having her sign topless photos, right? Yes, I think she was the draw. And Sam Raimi might have been there in his younger days too. People are like, whatever, Evil Dead Two, good movie. Oh, We're here yeah. for Linnea Quigley. Which, by the way, uh, I, I would have been there too. Uh, so great question from the chat, uh, Isaac Walmart. This isn't the Garbage Day one, is it? No, that's the sequel. Which maybe maybe for next Christmas we'll talk about part two, where uh, poor Ricky, his little brother, who I almost feel like that character is only you know he only exists in the movie so that they had an option to do a sequel. I feel like right. uh, Ira was like, give him a little brother just in case. You know? And part two is the one. Like I feel like part one is a comedy. But the yeah. way it was shot, maybe it was. The, I mean, the director famously didn't want to do any of the kills. He seemed Correct. to disown it. So it's the, like it, the, the comedy isn't as obvious. And I think that's what like shocked a guy like Gene Siskel. Part two is just like, OK, we get it. This is slapstick. We're not going to yeah. really uh, be offensive. Right. Well, part two, the director, I believe, was the one who like ended up like ending his career doing a lot of like Christian content and the editor would come on set for all the, the kill sequences and he would actually direct them, which uh, I, I guess, I, I guess nobody told the director's guild this was going on the set of <laughs> silent night, deadly night too. But yeah, there, and look, I think you find that a lot of the time, like the, the first Halloween is brilliant for its genre. It's a classic. The, the fall off from, literally every single one after that is very steep. There's moments right. there's, you know, as a kid, I thought they were fun, but they're not very good. And you can't count Halloween three because it's basically, you know, it's basically a standalone, completely different thing. So that sequence is, is so crazy because that's the house where the, the little girls upstairs and, you know, Billy's like, have you been good this year? And she's like, I have. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, oh, come on, say it. Say that you haven't been good. He's like, well, fuck, I, if I'm not going to kill her, I, all right, take this uh, box cutter <laughs> with with uh, lots of DNA evidence all over it, by the way. it's. I mean, it's it's very Catholic in a way, you know, like it's kind of like, all right, you're, I can't kill her. She, he's a good guy. It, he's not that bad. He, he's got a code, you know, he's right, like, he doesn't kill. He kills the bullies who take the sled, not the initial yeah. kids. Well, and you did notice I, that was what I wanted to touch on with the, the sledding scene. Those kids are probably like you know 18 19 and then the bullies uh, carlos you and i might have gone to high school with those guys right <laughs> they're so old <laughs> like it's, one of their one of their hairlines is was really far back i'm like it was okay, stevie so lou if you're familiar with stevie lou stevie lou yeah it's him. Well, i was gonna say it's like uh it's like when uh beverly hills 90210 premiered they wanted to convince us that Ian Ziering went to school with these kids. I'm like, what are you talking about? His forehead goes all the way back here. He's got my hairline. <laughs> right, exactly. So I uh, I, I thought uh, that that was probably a good move on Ira's sake to not have him, you know, kill like 12 year old boys who are just being dicks. You know, I mean, they looked like adults enough so that even if even if in the script, you know, in the sides when they were auditioning, if they uh, they said 12 year old, 14 year old or whatever. Um, 
as, as we talk about yourself. yeah right it's exactly. clunky as hell though that that's i mean as it's funny but yeah. like the build up to it it takes a long time oh, and then wow. i don't know if you get like how the, the, this i mean i you know you're from upstate new york you probably went sleigh yeah. riding on hills of course yeah like they were like going so slow like and like woo woo you think they're like downhill skiers the whole i mean the direction of this movie is it's flat it's clunky like as much as i enjoyed it it's it's a piece of shit movie yeah oh no no yeah i'm and yeah. look again like i was saying before i i wouldn't if somebody saw this and said this is the worst thing i ever saw i'm like okay great i'm not going to try and change anybody's mind exactly if they don't see how it's fun within the first well the first few minutes is rough because of the the assault and murder of his family and, and but, they kill that's the driver uh from uh cannonball run too it was yeah. like uh i couldn't believe because i was like I, she looks familiar yeah i thought it was oh, porn yeah, but she, no they uh they freaking they, well, they, how do they do her like that it's terrible By the way uh dick Fitzwell uh in the chat uh with a very funny avatar uh says uh, i guess he's saying part two is 70 percent footage of part one you can really watch part two and you get everything from part one it's like a uh, clip i saw a youtube video where somebody described it as it's it's a the first one was so popular it's it's the only movie that the sequel is a clip show yeah right exactly like uh your your favorite sitcoms and even the simpsons did a, a number of clip shows where it's like yeah, we're exhausted <laughs> we just we're gonna put a bunch of old stuff in here and look in in an age where still not everyone had a vcr you're like well we'll, we'll put it in the theater and we'll kind of recycle a lot of the stuff from the first one so mm. That's that's why we're really talking about that. And, and you know what? I am so glad that Friend Prices put this in here because I did want to talk about. So Friend Prices, and I assume these are all friends of yours because I, I don't know anybody. That's your that's your guy. I'm not sure our friends. Oh, that's, that's my guy. oh, yeah, you're right. Can we talk about how amazing the original songs are? Yes, please. Because they sound like actual Christmas carols, especially there's one in the beginning of the movie that's like Christmas Fever and uh, uh yeah christmas fever uh there's that santa's watching santa's waiting and then there's a sweet little baby there's this other side of the door and they all kind of sound you know they're like generic knockoffs of what christmas music actually sounds like but they're all original songs and uh i made a note to make sure that i give credit to morgan ames morgan okay. ames did the original music and the original music is actually for a you know, under a million dollar horror movie in 1984. It's amazing the the level of production, the sound quality, the singing, you know, the music, it's goddamn it if it's not catchy, Carlos. Well, no, that blew my mind because I, I did read that uh that the the songs, the even the uh, you know, the Christmas jingles were prepared original for the movie. Yeah. And I that that just blew I just thought it was some weird what I guess it's what they sing in Utah. Because they don't they're, they're <laughs> they sound familiar, but they're not. So I just thought yeah. it was some weird Mormon thing. I don't well, know. you know, yeah, because if you if you get beer in Utah, they have like lower alcohol content. So you feel like they also, you know, distill all of the Christmas carols to have them be, let's just say a little bit more accepted by some of the cultures in utah i don't want to generalize but right. there might be some wild stuff going over there by the way uh joey c has been in the chat and i guess he's gonna go uh troll vince the lawyer i know there's a lot going on right now i know i know uh ray devito's on right now Son i know vince the lawyer's on right now and it's personal uh, uh, you know the the show that I do with my buddy Eric Zane, uh, who are these broadcasters? We've moved the show over. I don't know the last like month or two, just because it was a little bit more congested in the middle of the day. But anytime you go live, you'll also like see the updates. Like oh, there's four other channels that are live right now. So I like that Joey C had to point that out. Thanks, Mister Catalano. 
Yeah, thanks. I'm going to be leaving now. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, but Joey's puppets are going to still watch this show. So I, I feel like that's that's all right. And uh, oh, see, now I let people know that Ray's on and uh, they're going to run away. That's all right. Uh, and oh, see, but friend, the other thing. But well, friend prices says I'm skipping Ray for you dudes. And I Thank appreciate you so that. much. Um, and I, I didn't, uh, I didn't look, but I feel like there's gotta be a soundtrack out for this. I mean, it, and if I can get it signed by Morgan Ames, you know, I, that's, mm. that's what I really want to do. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, and by the way, the second one I I've seen, I've never seen three, four or five. I know there's one, there's like five, I think has Mickey Rooney in it, which, uh, I did come across, uh, an interesting tidbit that I guess when the first one came out. Because Mickey Rooney was well known as being Santa Claus in two Rankin Bass specials. So I guess he felt like it was abhorrent and that the people who made it were scum. And then uh, six years later, he is a, the star of Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. They'll tell you everything Hollywood. about Mickey. Tell you, I was the number one star in the world. You hear me? Number one. And uh, then he wasn't anymore. And he's like, yeah, I'll do Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. How much? All right. Yeah. Yep. All right. <laughs> that's that's twice my act, acting price. Yeah, yeah. See, Dick Fitzwell even uh, commented on it. Mickey Rooney blasted this movie. Then he was in part five. Exactly. So one of the things that uh, Tarantino mentioned in the same video that you and I saw uh, was something that I had in my notes. All of the name brand toys in the toy store. And there's so much Return of the Jedi toys because they obviously filmed it in like 1983. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had Jabba's Palace. Oh, yeah, I had all this. And then I'm like, wait, there was a crawl board game? What? Like, how did I not know there was a crawl board game? And but it's like you got Batman, you got Mickey Mouse, you got, and I'm like, you didn't need to clear any of that. And I mean, I think if they had needed to clear it, now the movie would come out and it would be all blurred. But I guess you didn't have to do that back then, well, did you, Carlos? You know, I, I guess not. And I never realize any of that upon first watch obviously and when i was 12 years old but it yeah. gives the movie this sort of it's a weird warm nostalgia now i think it's gotten better over time because you know the stranger things is set in the 80s but this is an 80s movie it's like yeah. the 80s weren't all miami vice pastel colors it was more drab and brit and beige that you see in this movie and yeah they're, they're in the toy store, and I see the Matchbox Garage that I distinctly remember having as a kid. You know, I had the little ramp, and my cat would go in it all the time. And so, you know, yeah, there's sexual assault in the next scene. But then I'm thinking back, oh, my mom, oh, she got me that. I remember unwrapping it, and what a big deal it was. Yeah, and, and Job of the Hut and all that is just, yeah. it's amazing. No, exactly. It's it is fun. It's like I remember going going to five star values in Westwood, New Jersey, and the aisles looked just like that. That was the, the closest toy store to me. It was across the border. And By the way, Deng Lizard, poor Christian. There's almost nobody here. Uh, Deng Lizard, I don't think you spend enough time on my channel. Uh, Fifteen people is very respectable for a live stream. I like to say we make it up on the uh, on the on the replay, on the on demand, and the audio yeah. version. I welcome this many people. Uh, but Dang Lizard also says, what the hell is wrong with American society that a topless woman is more shark shocking than burning someone's eye out? Well, I think the shocking, it's when they combine them in this movie. Yeah. That's why it gets a little that, like, it's whoa. It's the combination. It's, and it's by the way, that, nowadays. that was one of those things with my mom was making a, a rule for my brother and I. She was fine with us, see, you know, within reason. We could see a movie that had like, you know, topless nudity or whatever. She had no problem with oh. that. She would rather we see that than violence. And... I was like, well, I can get violence on TV, but I can't get nudity on TV. So sure, you know, there's enough violence again on the A-team. 
And so, you know, there, you know, my, my grandmother was shocked by the way that uh, my mom took us to see Tootsie. You know, she was very worried. Oh, I saw well, that in the gonna... theater too. Yeah. Terry Gar. It's a great movie. You know, it is a great like, movie. Yeah. My, um, my family was the opposite though. It, like it was violence. Fine. Shootings. No problem. Yeah. No sex. We were very Catholic. Oh, like I remember, I remember like in CCD, I'd go to go on a Catholic school on Saturdays yeah, sure. up until eighth grade. And it was like, this was a movie. Like I, they'd be like, no, this is part of the reason that this is bad. And last temptation of Christ is because of, you know, it's bad to Catholicism. Yeah, no. And, and, and I mean, they, I mean, look, TriStar knew what they had. They did worry about the uh, Catholic backlash. And, uh, th you know, in that uh, clip that we played a little bit of before, Ira goes on, is like, you know, Santa Claus is made a person. Like, we well, didn't do this. With, he doesn't say the words, but he's like, we didn't do this not, with Jesus. Right. You know, it's, it's Santa. It's, it's okay. You but know? I swear, and I don't know if it's the same thing today, but I, I remember as a kid, there wasn't, it wasn't really a separation, at least in, yeah. in my upbringing. I like Santa was sort of a religious figure. Maybe that's what uh, figured into the backlash. It's more, I feel like it's more separated now because Santa's used to hawk everything. But maybe yeah. back then, I don't know, maybe it was well, still part, it was thought well, we, of, it was confused with religion. We were raised uh, Lutheran. So basically, you know, we had those what those 98 differences between the Catholic Church and I believe number 97 was that uh, Santa is just pretend uh, he's not a religious figure. Uh, I do want to welcome into the conversation now uh, Armando Munoz. Armando, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me here. And, nice to meet you. Uh, uh, this is uh, my buddy Carlos Danger. I'm Christian Blatt. This is the Black Cast. And uh, Armando, uh, you have just within the last few weeks published a novelization of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And uh, interestingly, we uh, Carlos and I had planned on doing the show a few weeks ago. And then I saw that you were going to have an event. I, I live in Burbank. So I saw that you were going to have an event at uh, at a store here, and I was like, I got to reach out to this guy because what great timing that your book literally just came out, and uh, I I want to kind of get your thoughts. We talked a lot about our personal backgrounds with Silent Night Deadly Night. We talked a lot about the controversy when it was originally released and when it was re-released. What's your background with the film? When do you remember seeing it? Did you see it theatrically? And uh, what what uh, when did you first encounter this movie? I wish I had seen a theatrical. Um, it did not open in my small town in 1984. And then it was yanked from theaters before yeah. it didn't make its way to us. In fact, that weekend was almost my turning point from somebody who only watched horror on occasion to a mega fan. I would buy my first Fangoria in January of 85. And I did see the original Nightmare on Elm Street in the theater. So I was right kind of at that turning point, but slasher movies terrified me. Uh, that's probably because I saw Friday the 13th on opening night, first show when I was eight. I wasn't <laughs> ready for it. It blew my mind. It terrified me. I was traumatized for years. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna interrupt for a second. My my son's eight and uh, I just this summer showed him Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm like, I think he's ready for that. I showed him Star Wars last year. You know, it's uh, it's you do have to kind of take the baby steps. There are definitely movies that I saw before I should. Uh, mm. I'm glad you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. Silent Night, Deadly Night grossed more than Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, in just the two weeks it was released. I thought that was fascinating. But anyway, back to your thought, Armando. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Silent Night, Deadly Night would have made tens of millions theatrically. Like, yeah. Its return would have been incredible had it been allowed to finish its run. 
but 84 was a big year for me. Like I remember it very well. It was kind of the first year I really fully plugged into youth culture and I was watching MTV nonstop and seeing movies, you know, that year I did, I did, we had a theater in our town that would allow even kids into R-rated films. They didn't card. They mm. wanted their two to four dollars. And so I was able to go see sex comedies and adults only horror films as a kid there. They didn't care. And uh, so it was such a cinema education. I mean, I saw Elm Street there. I saw in 84, I saw Friday the 13th, the final chapter in Bachelor Party more times than I can count. I probably <laughs> saw Bachelor Party as many times as Gremlins that summer or Ghostbusters or right. uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, maybe that one I saw the most. But uh, <laughs> so it was really a big year for me. And but I was also aware of the Christian backlash, the moral majority sure. attacks. I was already even that young. I was against that, you know, it, just within the years, a couple years before, you know, I reached, you know, 11, 10, 11. I was just like, I rejected the church. It's like, I'm not going anymore, you know. And so Silent Night, Deadly Night had the same kind of view of religious institutions, this aversion. Like, I've, I saw it right away when it came out on VHS in 1986. Fell in love with it. Just absolutely adored the movie. Like, I got its sensibilities completely. And I found the people who yanked it from theaters to be very... They, they were the offensive ones to me. Well, and I, and I think that uh, there's a, a, a lot of cases to be made for outrage and immediate backlash today. But I think that the business side would have won out today and the movie would have stayed at least in some theaters, you know, like it, it, using New York City for the example, Carlos, like it would have been at the Angelica forever, but mm. maybe not at like the Lowe's or the AMC. You know, they would have been at some theater and every show would have been sold out and they would have been you know, showing it all the time. But yeah, it is interesting to think about sort of that backlash. And, and look, I think a lot of movie theater owners are like, I just don't want the headache. You know, let's put Ghostbusters on another screen. It's fine. You know, <laughs> and but, there were like, I mean, there were, I was reading a New York Times article. There were protests in the Bronx, New York <laughs> over this movie. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was, it was widespread. And we all knew about it because it wasn't 24 hour cable channels. There weren't endless uh, choices of what we could watch. So this story was everywhere. It was. And and it, it doesn't it, it doesn't hurt when uh, we played a little clip of it a little bit earlier when uh, Siskel and Ebert are listing the names of everybody who made the movie and saying they should be ashamed of themselves. Doxing. And then Ira's, you know, on Entertainment Tonight being like, shame on them. Like, if the movie's so bad, why are you talking about it? You know, <laughs> you know, you're helping people see it. So, yeah. And, you know, we were talking, uh, Carlos and I were talking a little earlier. We both ended up seeing the same clip where Quentin Tarantino talks about how much he loves the movie. And he got it immediately because he like thought it was funny. And I think that the humor level of how ridiculous it is at times works because the kills are really inventive and good. I mean, we were talking, of course, about Linnea Quigley onto the antlers. You know, that scene, make it sort of earns a little bit more of the, the, the goofy nature of naughty, you know, some of that stuff. And I think without it, it might be like, what's going on here? You know, what do you think about that, Armando? This kind of mixture of the, the gore, the horror factor, but it's pretty funny at times. 
It is. I think uh, maturity has made it funnier. Uh, you know, mm. when I did see it on VHS in 1986, I got it, but it still freaked me out. Like, the movie is subversive and shocking in a way that most films weren't at the time. The way it just rubbed your face in very sordid situations and details. And the film did feel dangerous, you know, for its era. It had that to it. And it did freak me out to a degree. But I also enjoyed that kind of thrill. I was really getting into it. 86, I mean, 85 and 6. Actually, from 85 on, I would see everything genre related. I consumed it. And so, of course, this was a big part of my upbringing and education. Then, you know, jump forward about 15 years. It's probably around the year 2000. I caught it at a revival theater. So it was my first time seeing it on a big screen. And this was maybe around the year 2000 or so. And then maybe I hadn't seen it in a while. But that first sequence with Grandpa came on. And he was so authentic and terrifying. I mean, I knew the movie well, and yet yeah. seeing it with an audience and how it plays to a crowd had was so revealing to me. The degree of the humor and how a cult audience would just embrace that was a revelation. The second thing was, is watching Grandpa on the big screen, that authentic, even as an adult, terrified me practically to tears. Like he is so believable and his, his speech is so cruel. Like I, I get how both elements work and they still have that, you know, to, to this day, I can laugh at it and still get chills. Right. Exactly. And I think it, it is that mixture that works. And, and I'm glad you referenced the, the grandpa because uh, that is one of those things that it's like, oh, he doesn't actually do anything to Billy. But what he says is the worst things you could possibly say, uh, you know, especially with what's to come just a few minutes later. Uh, so let's uh, talk about the fact, Armando, that uh, just recently, as we mentioned, you have uh, published the novelization. So how does that come about? And and why, I guess now, next year is the 40th anniversary of uh, the, the film's release. Talk about how the novelization comes about for you to be involved. Well, you know, there's it was an interesting and it was a long process. We've really been trying to get this official first novelization done and two people for about two and a half years that this project has been like we've taken a long time to get this to the finish line to make sure it's done right and to make sure every you know the market's ready for it and it really started with anthony massey of stop the killer games who had become a merchandise owner of the property to create the board game that uh, Stop the Killer created for Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, a year ago, which did really well. And Fright Rags was um, helping to sell it for a while. But Silent Night, Deadly Night, he thought might be a good novelization. Like we just never had one. And so he approached the film producers who are the licensors to get the novel rights as well. But, you know, they are protective. And these are the uh, co-executive producers, Scott Schneid and Dennis Whitehead of the original film. And, but only the original. That was the only one that they were uh, involved in launching. And I had to sell my take 
an approach to them and get their approval. Anthony Massey of Stop the Killer was already a fan of my earlier novels um, that he'd read. And so he knew I was the right fit for this um, attitude wise. But then I had to convince the actual film producers. And, you know, that's the tough part. And but I had a very bold take. And luckily, you know, I thank them so greatly for letting me run and giving me the faith to bring my crazy vision of this movie to the page because it's not really like the normal novelization. This thing is a novel. It is a thick book that is going to, it's not just a scene by scene um, copy. I did use the original screenplay and was extremely faithful to the film and screenplay, but we added so much more to expand this world and give us more time with all of these characters that we love and to understand them. Why, why are they so crazy? Why are they so wild? Why are they so kinky? There are so many places we could go <laughs> with these characters. And so they gave me the freedom to really let it rip. And incredibly, we're here. It's nearly Christmas time and this book is 39 years later the novelization is going to reach readers and then the you know the old critics may want to add me to that list of undesirables <laughs> who made the films that they vilified on cable television because <laughs> this book is ruthless <laughs> well i read uh, i read a review from uh, it was a horror site that uh, really loved the book and they thought about they referenced sort of what you're talking about like most novelizations of books you know they're kind of written before it comes out and you know yeah you you expand on it a little bit and sometimes the movie changes and the novel's uh, wildly different but you have the benefit of you know at the time you're writing it more than 35 years of, of hindsight and thinking about here's what i'd like to add so you sort of you're able to address things like why was there a bow and arrow in the toy store and it's it's because i guess it used to be a sporting goods store or you know it was more of a department store at one point mm -hmm. so it's like okay yeah i mean and look that never took me out of the movie but it is one of those things when you when i read it i'm like oh yeah why was a bow and arrow there but it's fine but you get to spend we were commending carlos and i were commending the fact of how much screen time they give to billy before he even starts working at the store. But in the book, my understanding is that you get to spend even more time helping us understand why Billy ends up the way that he does, right? It's all explained. Like the, I've kind of put all the pieces together and then added the missing pieces that make the whole story make sense from his, why he goes crazy, um, but also to all the characters around him and how guilty they are or how they try to help him um, you know, we're taking this very dramatic, crazy movie, but we're kind of expanding it to this almost operatic level. Um, and we're going to, the goal is to get everybody invested in these characters, these new versions of the characters. And they're the characters we know, but they're going to surprise, all of them are going to surprise the reader when you really get to know them. And yeah, it's exciting. Okay. Like, I love, um, being with these characters a, a little earlier carlos you were talking about mother superior and uh you know how you feel like she's the real villain in here and uh armando i believe that uh again not having read the book but having read a review of it i feel like that's uh, very much represented in your novelization right i let the film producers know immediately 
I told them Mother Superior is the villain of this book. And the movie kind of had the church and religion in its crosshairs and was just exposing it all, you know, and I let them know right away that that is absolutely my my interest and approach in this book to see where Billy went bad. He was not. He didn't start that way. He's been a victim from the beginning to the end and is even responsible for what happened. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting villains in this piece. It's not just Billy. I mean, he's the protagonist in this book and the antagonist, but Mother Superior to me, um, just the whole, you know, religious institutions and abuse becomes the villain. But you also have this original killer Santa and you have Grandpa. Like there are like a number of really detestable characters in this movie that, you know, they mess with Billy. And it's really tragic. Like this is a very, this is a tragedy, this epic tragedy. Yeah, I think one of the things, you know, from an an adult mindset looking back 40 years is you you can you can be Billy and have just this awful thing happen and yes you see it, but it doesn't mean well you're definitely going to end up dressing up like Santa and killing people. If there had been, you know, there's the the one nun who really cares for him, but there's really no one in his life that is in any way trying to help him except for her. And every time she tries to get yelled, every time she tries to help him, mother superior is like, don't make me get the belt, you know? So it's, uh, it's very sad and it's tragic. Um, you know, when you think about it in that level, it's still fun to watch him, you know, kind of go around and and do all this stuff. So you're given the Liberty to uh, invent some of your own kills for Billy. Uh, Once, once this inciting incident happens, once he's got the suit on Uh, and uh, are just to make sure that people are aware when they buy the book, do you know offhand how many new kills of Billy in the suit uh, are included in the novelization of silent night, deadly night? There are so many more kills in this book. Um, his rampage on Christmas Eve alone is over triple. Okay. The amount of wow. kills. And the rest of the book is spotted with more murders that um, feel organic to the story. And, you know, they, the, the producers really wanted this to be Silent Night, Deadly Night. But they also gave me this leeway to, to branch off and fill it in, in exciting ways. And they had ideas and I had ideas, but you know, it's not a matter of just rewriting this and turning it into something different. Like we kept it so purely Silent Night, Deadly Night, but any new thing, any new character, kill, situation, subplot, backstory had to be approved by the producers of the original movie Hmm. as being completely authentic to the universe. Like I could not break away. I had to get full approval on anything additional, but I welcome that. And it helps make this feel like the real deal. Like we're dealing with not just this one, but the prior novelization of My Bloody Valentine, where I worked directly with the the director, George Myalka, to bring his clearest vision of what he wanted the movie to be and couldn't make it appear on the screen, whether it was due to budgetary considerations or anything. 
And so I was able to bring his ideas and flesh out my bloody Valentine the way the original creator wished it could have been. We very much had the same approach on Silent Night, Deadly Night, having the producer's involvement and their very strict overview of keeping Silent Night, Deadly Night exactly that. This is the this is like a very pure Silent Night, Deadly Night experience because well, it's really coming from the original source. And and my thinking is, if you're a fan of the movie, like you are for this and My Bloody Valentine, the la you would want that kind of feedback. You'd want that kind of input because the last thing you would want to do is turn in a book and they're like, yeah, like 40 pages of this, like this is, you don't get this movie at all, you know? So I think getting that collaboration makes it a book that one fans are going to appreciate, but then also you're going to be, oh, I'm so proud that I was able to really add to this legacy. Um, this, this conversation we're having is, is really just about the first one, but I did want to give you a moment. What are your thoughts when you think of the, uh, the four sequels that do any of them stand out? Is there one where you're, you're like, ah, it doesn't work for me as well as the others. I don't want, you know, you don't need to badmouth anything, but <laughs> it, as you think about them, you know, and somebody in the chat earlier was talking about how the second one is basically like a clips show. Just, you know, half of the movie is showing the first movie again. Um, what are, what do you think as you think of the, the franchise as a whole, Armando? None of them to me hold a candle to the original. Like it really is a franchise where the, the original is up here and the rest were all kind yeah. of approached at a different level. And it's really even hard to compare them. I can get a guilty thrill out of parts of part two. And, you know, it's got its cultiness that has its appeal. And I think five has some interesting ideas and effects. And I'm a big fan of Screaming Mad George's special effects of the era, his surrealness. So yeah, I can get some thrills out of that one too, but they really weren't anywhere in my focus when I wrote this novelization, partly because these producers only have the rights to the original. Right. It's the original that they are protecting and bringing and expanding the legacy of. The sequels were all different producers with different visions. And so, I didn't even want to reference it once. Like they were completely out of my view. What happens next? And we do have ideas for what happens next. So like, you know, we do hope that fans completely embrace this official novelization. And we really think they are. We think the response is going to be beyond, you know, positive. But does that mean that we'd follow it up with a novelization of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, no plans. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not talk about a new sequel that is it's that branches off of this novel. And so, if the audience demands that and they love these these versions of their characters enough, you know, we will satisfy that and carry it into a new. Um, novel direction so you know there the sequels i can always appreciate you know on my own no interest in no ability you know i don't right. have the rights to them well but that doesn't mean that we can't veer this elsewhere 
No, it's the interesting thing when you're talking about, you know, a lot of these franchises, you know, especially like all of these aren't on the same streaming service. All the Friday the 13th aren't in the same place. It's very hard to find some of them sometimes. And there's no real rhyme or reason if you're just a fan looking for a movie. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, people get involved. And unfortunately, that does, you know, have ups and downs in terms of quality. Uh, you know, there the 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 first batch of Friday the Thirteenth all have stuff that I like, but uh, you know, there's a certain point where I'm like, what what am I watching? But in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of the novelization, it, it just it made me think of something. Uh, earlier this year, I talked to uh, Kenny Johnson, who wrote and directed the miniseries V, and the original miniseries, and he had nothing to do with the sequel miniseries, and he's like, I've never even seen it. So at some point within the last few years, he wrote a novel like, well, here's what is my sequel to my original movie. Ignore what you saw on TV. And I'm like, that's kind of a really interesting idea because you can do that. You know, it's, it's, it's like how, you know, with Thunderball had different rights than the rest of the James Bond movies. Mm -hmm. So they were able to make never say never again, because it's like, well, we own Thunderball. We're just going to do a remake of it and we'll get Sean Connery out of retirement. So the idea that in different media, Armando, you can do different things is uh, very exciting. Uh, you said that uh, the publisher, it, it, so it comes from Stop the Killer Games, and uh, is that the best place for people to find it? Is uh, to go stop right the now? Yes, um, this is the first edition hardcover, so this is the first time it's going into print, and it's a very limited print of this first edition. I fully expect it will be sold out within the week. It's already that close to being fully picked up. And the last available copies can be got, you can get in two places. One would be stopthekiller.com, the website. And you still get this first exclusive first edition has all these perks that are only in this one. It's got two covers by this artist, um, Lynn Hansen. And when you take off the dust jacket, there's a whole nother beautiful cover underneath. Oh, wait here. So, like, hang on. Let me, uh, let me reposition the screen. I want you to be able to show this off. Okay. Wait. You get okay. this. Uh, so, yep. Oh, beautiful axe and the then axe there yeah if you oh. take off the dust cover you still have There's that ornament this. but oh. i mean it's a really nice hardcover edition it's the only time it's going to be in hardcover it comes with a signed book plate signed by me and the two co-executive producers of the film and a, a bookmark there's like an exclusive first printing bookmark and an extra chapter that's only going to be in this edition Oh, wow. Future printings of this book will be missing that extra exclusive chapter, which I'll say is another kill. So if, <laughs> so you're going to miss a kill if you wait for the paperback edition. But, so when, well, do they, when do they take this version, this novelization, and then reboot the movie? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, I saw that somebody comment that yesterday. We need a movie of the novelization of the movie. And that well, kind of shows that this is being embraced. You know, Fangoria's review this week was like, this is new canon for the series. You know, th the way that this is now presented. So I, you know, I'm thankful uh, that this is uh, going to reach the fans and, you know, they'll help us figure out if we are gonna take it further. You know, I do wanna mention that the producers just a year or so ago had a new comic book series, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it had its own, it, it didn't replicate the movie. It was really its own story. And there were four issues and it went off in its own direction and it has its fans. 
and this has this novelization is the official novelization of the movie right but that doesn't mean that as novels this can't have its own life so you know there is this resurgence right now with silent night deadly night that finally we're beyond just t-shirt new t-shirts and figurines where we have a board game that oh, i wish i had it down here i could show the stop the killer board game for silent night deadly night or the novelization or the comic book series and just this week a new solitaire card game based on silent night deadly night has been released where you play as billy and you're trying to beat um mother superior and the killer santa and grandpa so you don't go crazy on a killing spree and if you lose then you cracked you're gonna go killing on christmas eve like suddenly silent night deadly night is becoming this interactive thing and I, you know we can credit those original producers for you know realizing the worth of this property and kind of getting it out and i'm thankful to be invited into the silent night deadly night family yeah, I've uh, grabbed an image at least of uh, the game and uh, you can kind of get a little bit of a sense for uh, what it's like. Here's uh, for our audience on YouTube. You can kind of see uh, some of the pieces and uh, how the game works. Uh, it's, uh, you know, don't don't uh, don't put it under the Christmas tree for the little ones. But, you know, the bigger kids, I think it uh, might be a, a great thing. Yeah, to I already gave my daughter a, a box cutter. It's wrapped. So <laughs> I'm good. It's <laughs> it's perfect. I, I You know, what, what could uh, possibly go wrong? And uh, Armando, we were uh, talking, uh, you know, when I, I first uh, introduced you, uh, I, I figure this is for a little bit of a, of a niche audience. But anybody in the Los Angeles area. Uh, you and some of the co-executive producers of the original film will be at Dark Delicacies in Burbank this Sunday, December 17th at 3 p.m. So people would uh, be able to come for an event there, right? And those might be the final books available. Okay. At this well, point, uh, like if they finally finish selling out on Stop the Killer by then or before Christmas, but we will have a limited supply of books at that signing so people can get in line we also did a signing there with stop the killer for my bloody valentine in february of this year and we sold out that's when we finally sold out of every single book of the first edition hardcover oh that's great so uh, the ebooks and audio books and paperbacks will be coming later but it could be months like sure. nobody quite knows exactly the timeline and so if you want the book now for this christmas it's a bit limited but it's still there yeah whoever's in your life that is the person that you would want to get silent night deadly night uh, tie-ins you know games and novels this is the time you have to get it you can't give it to them after christmas you know because as they talk about in the movie once christmas is over billy was always fine so like on Boxing Day, Billy's going to be fine on December 26th. Yeah, yeah. So don't give it to the, you know, but we you've given me a great idea for a Valentine's Day gift from my wife, your novelization of my bloody Valentine. So we'll get that. Um, I just want to uh, give a quick moment before I let you go, Armando. And thank you for uh, making the time. This is, uh, you know, it's fairly early here on the West Coast. Uh, your website is eekentertainment.com. Uh, tell people a little bit about what they find there. And uh, there's a, a great list of uh, some films that you have uh, made. Uh, Mime After Midnight, Panty Kill, and uh, a few others. And uh, so take a moment and let people know what they can find at eekentertainment.com. 
Yeah, I used to direct um, a lot of crazy short films. And I'm uh, you know, planning to be directing more in the future. It's just I'm kind of taking a, a bit of a detour at the moment with these novels. Um, sure. But you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s, I was making lots of crazy cult horror short films and playing them all over the world, really. I was very lucky to get a lot of um, film festival screenings, coast to coast and in other countries. And uh, with these really perverted, gross, gory short films. And so they, they all had kind of a cult edge. They had a humorous edge. You know, I, in a way, I can look back at those and say, well, those were certainly influenced by the attitude of Silent Night, Deadly Night. You know, like, it's so ingrained in, in me, but I, I was really a big fan of uh, Mime After Midnight. I think that might be the, the best one from 2003. Pervula still, that, that one played all over the world, and uh, even at Elvira's only film festival, oh, nice. where it won the What the Fuck Award. <laughs> there and, you go. And, you know, I've had other shorts win Best of Show at the Sick Puppy Film Festival. Like, you know, I was very underground, and but, you know, now these I... things live on, and so they can be found at Eek Entertainment, like, you know, when I was doing those. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, now it's kind of like this big list of novels and that's kind of unexpected but hoarder led to turkey day and turkey kitchen my slasher thanksgiving series my own original um series of books and it'll be a trilogy eventually there'll be a part three but that led me to getting my bloody valentine which led to silent night deadly night and happy birthday to me a novelization is coming out in may that i have authored and oh, yes. there will be more. In, in, in the chat dick fits well i was actually going to put that up did you do the happy birthday to me novel and uh, the answer is well is that is indeed armando yeah uh well armando again thank you so much for uh, being so generous with your time i love talking to people who have the same level of enthusiasm about these things and uh, uh best of luck with the book it seems like it's, it's going really well and uh hopefully there's, uh, you know, whatever's to come in the future. Uh, hopefully we get to uh, talk about that then. And uh, I, I reached out to you uh, fairly easily uh, and you're on Twitter or X as it's called now, Armando D. Munoz, M-U-N-O-Z, if uh, people want to find out more there. Thank you again for your time, Armando. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I hope to see you the dark delicacies. Oh yeah. Well, I've, on I've, Sunday, I've, I've already, yeah. <laughs> my, my wife's going to the daytime Emmys, but uh, I've already explained to her that uh, I got to steal away for a few minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for having me guys. All right. Absolutely. Thank you to uh, Armando. Yeah. I just thought it would be uh, fun to, uh, you know, talk to somebody about that. And, and just, I think it was bloody, bloody disgusting. Gave it a rave review. That was the website you had. Uh, I think the, oh, the yeah, review you had I, mentioned I, at the I, beginning, I, I, right. I saw that too. They were, uh, they, were, they spoke really highly of it. Oh, and by guy. the way, in the chat, Cardiff Electric, two-time guest on the Blackcast, although he denies it. Uh, he's uh, asking us for seize and desist. Uh, I meant to ask Armando where he keeps his What the Fuck Award. You know how when people say, like, hey, where do you keep your Emmys or your Oscars or whatever? Uh, where do you keep a What the Fuck Award? I mean, I would have it on the mantle over the fireplace. And, and what is it? What's it look like? You know? ah, see, I got I got distracted by Cardiff. That's literally what happened. I saw that Cardiff was in the chat. Right. and uh, Complaining about stuttering John, crying. 
uh, I believe me, the, the last couple days for uh, Cardiff, it's uh, been a bit of a roller coaster just to watch not being a potato. So uh, as we start to wind down here, uh, Carlos, what do you think is the uh, the for not for the horror world, not for the film world? What for you is the legacy of this movie? You know, uh, Armando made a good point about sort of this being a moment in time where it is the year that the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out. You know, I think Friday the 13th part three was that year, you know? So this is definitely sort of like a peak in, in slasher films, you know, uh, what, uh, what did the finally getting to see this? Did it uh, turn you on to the idea of like, I want to see more movies like this. Uh, or were you like, well, I'm kind of tapped out. My bandwidth for uh, slasher might be uh, maxed out here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've tapped out on slasher movies a good 10 years ago to some extent, but seeing this again, you know, and the first time seeing it since really I was a kid, I completely get why it has the cult following. It does have this weird universe of characters. I don't know if that was intentional, you know, the, yeah. the uh, but I, 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 it's been a while since I just laughed at a horror movie. You know, some horror movies have become either though they're, they're, they're overtly funny and it's like not subtle and it's too in your face, you know, or they're just, they take themselves themselves too seriously you know yeah. like i just and i like that this is just yeah it, it, it can be offensive in parts it pushes the boundaries in parts but it's also there's a sense of humor to it that's that that's that's kind of subtle i mean you know one thing billy like he when he turns into the killer he's drinking you know there's that yeah. ridiculous scene where mr sims is like let's get fucked up it's christmas yeah. Yeah. and the, the employees that's their christmas eve is they're going to get hammered with the old man I mean, yeah. it's, and, it's and, very and, funny and, and assaulted in the stock room yes right right yeah by by nick DePaulo. i think wasn't that nick DePaulo? that character that <laughs> it looked like nick DePaulo. hey yo. Uh, by the way uh mr sims is uh not a subtle actor uh i think and uh you know he, he, reading about the movie it was uh you know but they filmed the movie in utah so it's a lot of like local uh, billy actually had had not acted before i think no. for what they needed i think for what they needed him to do it was fine you know what i mean like what what else do you need from that it, character i also but, think that this is it's a bit of a rorschach test you know i, I was i you just watch this movie and it's like okay what is it trying to say is it intentionally yeah. trying to say what I think it's trying to say, am I reading into subtext? Is it a movie about, is Billy a closeted homosexual? Is this a parable for the AIDS act, uh, uh, epidemic in 1984 where their homophobia was running wild? What's the what's the last, before, the, before Billy says his first word in the movie, you hear on the radio a song and a lyric, everyone is gay. That wow. happens, right? Yeah. Then Mr. Sims... Billy's now a big, strong, strapping boy, and he's brought to Whoa. the toy store. And there's that bizarre shot. Feet. Oh, we're, we're meeting adult Billy. Yeah. If, that, if that's what, not homoerotic, what is? Well, I definitely I put in my notes as I was watching it uh, yesterday. I'm like. Mr. Sims wants to fuck Billy, right? You know, and I was like, I got to make like, sure we get to that. <laughs> does he like i don't know is that but i think he needs to be drunk to do it i think he's that level you know he's he seems like very very 80s closeted gay you know right. and is one. billy's whole thing he's struggling with his sexuality is that what's going on is this really a, a movie that uh you know I, I i don't know there's 
And I don't know if that is that bad filmmaking or is that what they intended? Is it an, yeah. an actual attack on the Catholic religion? Did they mean that, or was it just playing on stereotypes of nuns beating up kids, which was true? You know that actually that happened all the time. Uh, yeah, I didn't uh, go to Catholic school, but uh, anybody that I talked to, it's like, oh yeah, that was a thing. You know, it, it, yeah, it, like it. Uh, just to circle back to the the humor and the importance of that, the reason why I always prefer to pretty much everything in the genre, Freddy Krueger because he makes jokes because he's funny one robert england is phenomenal but two it's like uh what he says sometimes is actually like legitimately funny and i always try to when i'm talking about horror i always say that to me freddy krueger is you know like a, a psycho maniacal spider-man because when spider-man's in a fight he's making jokes the whole time and mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah he kind of makes him that guy and i'm like well freddie does the same thing except you know he's murdering teens in their dreams and it makes it a little bit easier you know the the stand there and say nothing michael myers jason Voorhees, yeah okay but it's not as fun you know and i think that that's what it comes down to as as horrifying as it would be if I sat my wife down and asked her to watch this whole thing. And I was like, it was funny, right? It was fun. She'd be like, no, but there, I get what you're saying those. though. Yeah. It, when he says naughty and yeah. punish over and over again, you yeah. can't, it's yeah, it's funny. Like, yeah. It, because like the cop, he has to punish because the cop by definition, at least in 1984, yeah, we didn't think of cops as naughty. So we're like punish, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it was it was definitely fun to watch. And uh, I love that uh, Armando wrote the novel. And, you know, I just I sent him a quick email and he was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to come on. I'm like, really? At like 930 in the morning. And you can see, I mean, the thing about it, you can see how passionate he is. And there's a yes. whole fan base out there. And that's why when we started, I was almost even nervous to talk about this because I know how important this movie. It, it truly has a cult following. And I, I totally get why. Yeah. It's after I saw it of the other day i really wanted to learn more you know there's only so much i could do in the in the time we had but yeah i, I definitely like I, I went to horror conventions forever i never saw this cast in a panel i've seen linnea quigley at, at horror conventions countless times but i've never really heard her tell the story uh, of this movie because it, it's definitely unique so i, I want to learn more well what i'd like to do uh the next time movie. The next time I'm back on the East Coast, I'm going to bring a, a copy. I'm going to get myself the Silent Night, Deadly Night board game. Me and you. And we'll ask uh, Cardiff to drive out from Minnesota. Maybe we could, maybe OJ will drive, uh, you know, from wherever he is in the Midwest. And Two words. Uh, it's got to be Ray DeVito. I insist on Ray DeVito. Well, I would assume he was already staying in, you know, in your garage. Right. You know, it was by default. Ray, Ray, Ray DeVito would be there. Uh, well, uh, look, it, it's fun to talk about. And uh, it is, you know, because of my memory of the second one, the second movie stands out because the the meme of, you know, it's trash day or garbage day. I actually garbage forget day, now yep. which one it is. Yeah, garbage day. Um and that's kind of what it boils down to. It's like, that's why people remember it at all. in, in this day and age, um, and I don't know, there is a part of me that wants to, you know, while I have the free trial of this uh, shout factory streaming, I'm like, maybe I do want to see the one with Mickey Rooney because it can't be good, you know? So, no. and I don't want to ever have to pay for it. So maybe this week I might have to check that one out. I might just jump to part five. They did a, uh, they did a reboot in like 2012 which was just called silent night 
And they didn't, the, the person who wrote it didn't even watch this movie. They basically just told the story. There's this, this terrible story locally here in Southern California of uh, this family in West Covina where like the, uh, the, the separated, the uh, ex-husband, the dad showed up at the house dressed like Santa Claus and he used a flamethrower and he killed everybody in the house and killed himself. And I'm like, I can see making a movie of that, but it's a true story. So it's not fun you know i guess if you don't know it's a true story you're like oh this is horrific but i'm like this movie's funny this one that we're talking about there's nothing funny about that you know right. uh yeah. so uh i don't know it's it, sometimes people miss the point is is what i'm getting at if they were to make a new movie i would hope that somebody like armando if not armando himself would be involved in you know putting it together you know what i mean Right. Yeah. And yeah, the guy's got passion. And, and from what I read on Bloody Disgusting in that review, he does a good job fleshing out all sort of the insane parts. Like uh, at the beginning of Silent Night, Deadly Night, I didn't really understand why the grandfather did what he did or how that played into it. Yeah. Um, so I guess in, in from what I read in his novel, he goes into it and explains it more. But then again, yeah. as a viewer, I like being that confused and befuddled and asking myself, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah, I and there's I was, the Hutt. There's Mickey Mouse, who also makes appearances in this movie. And when I was watching it the, the other day, it was like, does Grandpa come back? You know, I was like trying to remember. <laughs> I'm like, do we get more out of him? And then they're like, as we go along, I'm like, no, 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 we don't. But it's like there's in my in the back of my mind, they're like, there must be more. But yeah, just the idea, like, oh great, the adults are out of the room. And uh, yeah, I'm I gotta it. ask you. It, I'm sorry, I keep stepping on you. I no, no, uh, look, it's the nature of doing it over StreamYard or whatever. It's it's, uh, it's fine. Go ahead. I only stepped on every punchline. But a huge spoiler alert, but I got to ask you. I'm going to talk about the very end of the movie. Yes. So we get the great scene where a, a priest who is oh. gets shot in the back by accident, and the cop's just like, hey, man, these things happen. It happens, you know? Police brutality in the 80s was on a whole other level. And then the nun, I guess, explained, well, he was deaf. Yeah, he was deaf. Which, by, by the way, the review mentioned that, like, at the time, it was okay to say deaf. And I'm like, I, I legitimately, I didn't know you couldn't say that anymore. We say hard. I didn't know. Wait, you, I'm learning this for the first time now. I'm not, this I'm was not, in the review. They were like, because I guess oh, in Armando's, hearing impaired? Yeah, in Armando's book, he actually says, oh, he's hard of hearing instead. He was hard of hearing because I guess the term deaf, you know, it's like little people like it, there's okay. terms that people want to be identified by. And I'm like, this movie helped me realize that we don't say deaf anymore. I, I didn't realize it. I, um, I had no idea. Now Cardiff's going to clip that and get me in trouble. But but when when <laughs> Billy comes in, right, he shows up. And first of all, the, the climax in the movie is in broad daylight, which is I've never seen that well, in a slasher movie before. But yeah, but the snow yeah, doesn't we, match. There's, we, we there's no to, snow we, in the front. We talked about what the budget was. That was one of the things I read that as they were filming this movie in Utah, it was March into April and the snow was melting. So they filmed all the exteriors first, actually. And, yeah, so, a lot of stuff doesn't match. But yeah. all right. So Mother Superior, the, the, the person who is ostensibly in some way responsible for turning this child into a killer because of her constant abuse and overbearing nature. He gets the chance like and then he it doesn't happen. Like, I just thought, What? I, I I honestly think that that reason is, again, all the controversy it did have, 1984, killing a nun on screen, nobody wanted that headache. TriStar was like, was like, no, you cannot. But it's so unsatisfying, I agree, that it, it, the fact that he doesn't, you know, and that's another one of those that be, it had been a while since I saw it. I'm like, he gets her, right? 
He does not. Yeah, are and we supposed to think she is actually good? Is the movie saying no? She doesn't. She doesn't she's, deserve to be a victim. She gets away with it, you know. And right. Uh, Meanwhile, and, Billy and, kills a, a sexual assault victim at the beginning of the movie. There's a second kill after he yeah. hangs Nick DiPaolo. I don't know. It's all <laughs> over the place. Well, that was that was because of uh, Nick DiPaolo's politics. I think uh, he felt like that, that was really what it was. Uh, but all right. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have uh, we have Ricky, who's his little brother at the end right that's ricky standing there and, and he just says naughty and uh i'm like you know what that's a classic like 1984 horror movie ending like yeah you want more huh what do you think we've right. opened the door let us know if we should close the door or uh leave it open it does uh, make yeah. a great pairing with a christmas story they almost they always look similar like <laughs> yeah. i would recommend everybody this christmas eve first a christmas story then silent night deadly night yeah, not the other way around. I mean, go go Christmas story first. Right. Uh, well, uh, and uh, American Cupcake wants to say hello and that to you. I don't. Hey, I, baby. I, now that we know that uh, that's that, my wife. That, Car that Cardiff checked in. I don't want to read anything that uh, he might uh, clip to uh, embarrass either of us. Um, but uh, yeah, so this was uh, this was fun to talk about though, and uh, it was a great excuse to watch this, you know, and, uh, it's, it's good that we, we, we have this little, uh, semi-regular movie club, Carlos, where we get together and talk about movies that, uh, maybe we haven't watched in a while. Although the last time, you know, it gave me an excuse to rewatch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is still one of the worst things I've ever seen. It, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> it was so right. bad. Um, I, I haven't seen the, the remake of this. I read what it was and I'm like, I'm, I'm actually not interested in that. So, right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's just me, but somebody but tell us Malcolm McDowell, I guess I get, it's got Malcolm McDowell. I do. I do love Malcolm McDowell. Even, even in the worst Star Trek movie, I still like him in general, but, uh, let us know if somebody in the chat or, you know, if you're checking out the archive version, somebody loves the, what is it? 2012 reimagined silent night uh carlos again thank you for your time i uh, let everybody know from from my channel and from the audio version let everybody know where they can find you and uh if they they they're interested in in more carlos danger in their life oh lord yeah it's youtube.com insufferable bastards insufferable bastards podcast it's a Dabbleverse podcast that used to be movie reviews but now we've fallen now we're like a kevin brennan podcast and we hate cardiff electric if you want an well, anti-potato podcast, an anti-potato podcast, if you're like Kevin Brennan, so that means that you go on for four hours just so that you can read all the super chats. Uh, is that what you're getting at? And occasionally you have uh, guests or have I misread that? It's like Kevin Brennan minus any of the humor money, but it's the, <laughs> but the anti-Shuli sentiment just for 90. Oh, minutes. well now, now you're talking. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, uh, fortunate enough last week to be asked to be on point dabble point for the first time. Uh -oh. And uh, it was an honor to be there, but, uh, it also meant that my first appearance on point dabble point meant it was also my first appearance on MLC because they were sniping the entire show. So, uh, I have, uh, I recorded it because I know Kevin always takes down his streams. This is very inside baseball for a lot of my audience, but, um, but <laughs> I recorded it because I'm like, no, 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 I it's, I'm the one who brought this up. It's okay. It's on me. Uh, and I just, I want to know, like, what did he say about me? Because I, I think I mentioned to you, uh, stuttering john sniped who are these broadcasters once and he heard me talk and he said you're the worst broadcaster ever and i'm like getting that from him 
it's from Stuttering just, John. Yeah, that's like getting my own what the fuck award is is as having Stuttering John Melendez tell me I'm the worst broadcaster ever. Uh, in any case, uh, we've uh, got some fun in store over here at the Blackcast. So if you're visiting us from Carlos's channel, please subscribe. B L A D T C A S T. Uh, I will tell you that uh, next a week from tonight, uh, next Wednesday, December 20th, let's see, it'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. I'm doing a special on the Star Wars Christmas album. Everybody knows about the Star Wars wow. holiday special. You might not know about the Christmas album. It is definitely a Christmas album. And I'll be joined by the entire gang from Shitty Song of the Week. Uh, I'll be on their show this week, and then we're doing that uh, over here next week. Uh, very excited. It's called Christmas at the S in the Stars is the uh, Star Wars Christmas album. And uh, it is not good. So uh, everybody. I can't wait. Everybody join in for that. And, of course, you can find me on X and Instagram and threads. But who's who's really using threads enough already? Like I get annoyed when someone posts something on threads and I get a notification. I'm like. Uh, and I, I haven't deleted that yet at Christian DMZ. And again, thank you to Carlos. Thank you to everybody in the chat, even the potato. We, uh, we have no ill will towards the potato on my channel, uh, regardless of how mm -hmm. Carlos feels about him. Uh, but that is all the time we have for now. We will see you next time on the Blatcast. <laughs> Santa's watching, Santa's creeping Now you're nodding, now you're sleeping Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad There might be a treat for you In Santa's bag of toys But Christmas won't be fun and games For naughty girls to the Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on The Bladcast. Naughty. No one that I'm talking to, no friends of mine, no one in this universe, Bedabbler, OJ, None of these people are calling your mother. Christian Blatt, I suspect, might be calling your mother, but I don't know. Not 100% from who are these socials. <laughs> I, 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 I suspect. Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, he did tweet something. On Mother's Day, he tweeted something about moms, so I'm assuming that's what he meant. You know, obviously. So, you know, I would start looking into Christian Blatt. Blatt it. I don't know. Nobody knows how to say it. Nobody knows. But anyway. Blattcast. The Blattcast. And who are these socials? Sorry, the Bladcast. Who are these broadcasts? Timothy, it's Tim. Who are these broadcasts?
Thank you. What an amazing day. Couldn't possibly be topped until tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, when Eric Zane and Christian Blatt are live on this same channel of who are these broadcasts. Broadcasts. Not who are these socials, as Cardiff said. Or broadcasts. No, I said broadcasts. Broadcast. Well, you also said broadcasts. Yes. Who are these broadcasters? Is on this channel every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern with Christian and Eric. They do a a fantastic job bringing you all the news on broadcasting from the week and and a lot of silly things that happen on local news. It's the Eye of the Tiger, it's the thrill of the night Rising up to the challenge of arrival And the last no survival Все, ребята, я сдулся The great Christian Black. Yes, go to the Blackcast and subscribe there Because uh, I'm sure all of you are already subscribed to who are these podcasts Mr. Blackcast is in the chat. Oh my God, it's Christian. It's Christian. The Blackcast, $2. Would Nicholas Gurr seated in the groom side? No. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The Blackcast. Thank you, Christian, for another $2. Should we assume the groom chose the videographer? Perhaps. We have so many heathens now. I'm reading out all of them. I'm sorry, all y'all. Uh, we got one gifted to Lesser Logic, one to the Blackcast. You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch got lucky this time, Christian. How do we kick a heathen out? No, I'm just kidding. He's one of the most OG heathens that have ever heathened. This is my friend, Christian. He This this little fucker does know oh, who I am. Oh, black cast? Yeah. Christian, I've already forgotten about you. Christian who? <laughs> this is why you're stupid, Christian. This is why you're dumb. Christian's also a huge Doctor yeah. Who fan. How dare we find masculine men hot? That's crazy. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Christian. Can you please call Christian Blatt after this and explain yeah. to him <laughs> quality control? Yeah, right. Thank you. We're fighting for our right to live the way we need to, to exist in a festive world for 55 to 57 full days. And the Bladcast showing up, my buddy Christian. Hello, I'm Conrad Bain. What's the matter, Senor Luigi? You look a little nervous. I'm very nervous. No invite. <laughs> Who are you, Christian Bland? We're Christian, you are, you're a talker. Talk about, no, you're like the I worst podcast ever. Well, this has been the Blackcast. You can find me at Christian DMZ. Jeff Duray not on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to break into a Slim Jim. Yeah. <laughs> not a good game <laughs> but you haven't heard christian blatt do it that. oh, that's true i forgot christian blatt did that with us the black cast so thank you christian how is it that wendy is so much so better at this than I, stud joe chad and kevin brennan whoa hacka hackers as pissed off as Vinny is at you yeah, yeah you yeah. should be at christian blatt and eric's name <laughs> this one came in from uh, my buddy christian blatt the black cast thank you for the 199 christian uh cardiff grab your guitar to play whole lot of rosie Mousies? The Bloodcast 199. Who's had more hands up their bum? Chad or Tuki? <laughs> Chad. Thank you, Bloodcast. Bloodcast. The Bloodcast is 100% right. Uh, the Bloodcast. The Bloodcast. 
The Blad Cast. One of the best podcasts you can ever see, The Black Cast. Whoop-dee-doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch The Blad Cast. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500. Last time I checked. Totally forgot. I am doing The Blad Cast tomorrow. Uh, the Blad Cast, 499. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs> that was not my fault. Tookie loves you all more than a friend. I love Tookie. Yay! <laughs> hacka, hacka! I'm so excited! Try anything you cancel, bro. Let's see! <laughs> oh, yeah! I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? We'll see who's doing it. Mickey is no tin dog. Oh, yeah! Naughty.